Oh my gosh. Back in these comfy confines of the MST studios. Back home where we belong. I'm assuming you're wearing your jammies because God knows I'm wearing mine, Dan. But this is Dan and Jack, and you are listening to Men Seeking Tomahawks. Daniel. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's... It was nice being next to you and broadcasting alongside you and Webb and all of our guests last week. A little windy, though. I'm not going to lie. Inside our, our studio here, our studio apartments here that we both live in, um, <laughs> they, uh, the wind is not nearly as strong and the John Mellon camp in the background is not nearly as loud. Yeah, we're, you know, Dan, this uh, Men Seeking Tomahawks is nothing if not resilient. And last week, I think we, we, we produced... For the good listener, uh, a decent show given the circumstances, you know. Especially the baseball fans in the audience, they had to love that. Sure, absolutely. I I had a good time, obviously, and I I think that uh, you know last week, not only being uh, an event that we were both look very much looking forward to, but it was monumental for a couple of reasons that we failed to mention uh, in the course of the the broadcast, and I figured. What better time na- than now for us to kind of go back and reflect on these things? Because, Dan, uh, if my very poor math skills have served me right, we did 82 episodes on our original run of Men Seeking Tomahawks. And last week was show number 18 of this current run. And so... If my calculations are correct, hold on, let me consult the number machine. I think that that means we've done 100 of these, give or take, Dan. So, uh, yeah, small golf clap there. Now, all kinds of technicalities. First of all, those 82 (laughs) episodes, like you said, uh, that we have are in the can. They're somewhere buried deep under the under the ground yeah, and I think time capsule will yes yeah i think your will um instructs whoever is in charge of putting the last bit of dirt on your grave uh to then turn around and start digging again and dig up that time capsule and release it into the atmosphere so um mm-hmm. one day that's accurate absolutely yeah and i guess the other technicality is we've dropped some bonus episodes even in addition to these 18 uh, we got a couple music episodes. We've got that one that you know our friend Cobra got a hold of, and who knows what the heck that was all about. But uh, that was fun. Yeah, congratulations, over 100. How about that? We've definitely surpassed 100. No one can argue with us. That's it's it's quite frankly astounding that you and I have done this, and I just thought it would give us a good moment to reflect on our our adventure here and what we've accomplished or maybe not accomplished. But it's been. As someone recently said, we're still chasing our dreams. <laughs> we're not really chasing them anymore. We're more or less just uh, fast-paced mall walking behind them and uh, for our health. And that's fine because it's a good, good time fun having, right? Chasing our dreams. Chasing our dreams. I just This might tie into stuff later, but I just feel like there's certain things that if you do it for fun, then that's the most important. That's, that's the... The friends along the way, you know, that's the thing you you actually got, right? I like it. And and another milestone I think we should point out is the fact that uh, hit the sounder. Uh, we now have in this current run of eighteen or so episodes, we have surpassed one thousand downloads. Can I mean that is such a big number? I can't I can't count that high. 
anyone who's hearing this, they're contributing to the debauchery that went into that thousand downloads. So it's, you know, if you stop listening, then that number will never change, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then except uh, for us, I'll hit I'll have to start downloading like ten or twelve times a week <laughs> instead of once. Right. Uh thank you guys. We just want to say thank you, listeners, for for doing stuff with us. We've we've had fun with you and uh we appreciate you. Anyway, Dan, that uh, obviously that brings us to uh, secret deodorant. This is something that's been bothering me. I woke up the other night thinking about this, and I don't quite know why. But are you familiar with the brand Secret? I definitely remember the commercials from my youth. That mm-hmm. that's something that I definitely associate with um, commercials growing up back when we used to have to watch them. So I feel like the Men Seeking Tomahawks uh, marketing agency needs to address. We need to we need to get a meeting. I need you to write something down on that whiteboard behind you. Schedule a meeting with Secret because I don't. I, they don't lean into that marketing whatsoever, do they? Because Dan, what is Secret? Deodorant. How do you know that? How do you already know that if it's Secret? What is what is in it? Well, if you flip the Secret over, we could Google right now, and then we could find out what's in it. There's no secret behind it. Where do you find it? The deodorant aisle in the grocery store. Like they have failed to capitalize upon the name of the product. Now, if I remember correctly, and this is going way back in the memory machine, uh, thinking to those commercials from from yesteryear, I believe that was when most deodorant was like powder deodorant. So it would go on and it would, you know, the woman's blouse would get the powder on the underarm and you know, that blue blouse would have a, a white kind of, uh, you know, powdery undertone. And, Tragic. And Secret's whole marketing behind the brand was, well, ours goes on clear and it won't come off on your clothing. So it was a secret that you were wearing deodorant in the first place. True. But, Dan, brands evolve. Times change. Okay, so Secret, I know you're listening. And I'm going to make sure that you're listening to this. Because if you want to be now, if you want to be 2020 you really have to go full throttle with the secret thing. What is secret? Stop telling people. What is in secret? None of your business. Where do you buy secret? Great question. Boom. See, Dan, that's, that is how you move deodorant sticks. You're welcome. You're welcome. That one's free. So you're saying they need to start like placing the de- deodorant maybe on like the toothpaste aisle. Right next to the cantaloupes. No. Okay, even better. And then you turn on the backside and it says not approved by the FDA because we refuse to tell them what's inside of this. Yeah. You don't even know what it is. They don't need to. None of them do. It needs to come in a plain container with, with no identification of what it is. Just, and then you remove the cap and there's not even a way to like apply it? Maybe. Now I like, like what you're secret. thinking. Yeah, no, it, it, it really does. Yeah, this needs this. You know, look, nuclear codes are secret, right? What is secret deodorant? Not not nuclear codes, and that's whose fault is that? It's theirs. It's secrets. Did you ever, with you know, quick deodorant talk here? Did you ever use the one where you would roll it and it, like the gel came up oh. and it was like like liquidy and oh. you would. This this reminds me of as we talk about the the way back machine here, like middle school football. I remember that was a thing because it kind yes. of smelled like uh smelled like cologne a little bit. So you would kind of if you put on enough of it, it would smell like you were wearing grown up cologne instead of just deodorant. So you just like cake that 
uh, gel. It was like hair gel coming out Stop. of the top of the, and you just put it on your underarm, and it would just be like globs. And you're, you know, hey, do you have a pit stain? No, that's just the the globby gel deodorant seeping through. You're making me throw up in my mouth. Like it just reminds me of like Ghostbusters two when the then the goo stuff was coming out of the sewers, like. Because you're talking about the ball thing, but then there was a little clicker that came through the grates, like you'd click it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it just pushed that gel up through it. <laughs> yeah. God, just why is it that in 2021 we are living in the future, and we have not figured out deodorant? Like de- deodorant is a an abomination. It is embarrassing because we're gonna have to have we're gonna have to dive deeper into deodorant because yeah. I've got well, some yeah opinions on deodorant. I know someone who can save us, but it's a secret. Mm-hmm. Dan, what are we talk? What do you want to talk about tonight? Yeah, I was actually, you know, you hinted at it a little bit, um, kind of talking about doing something we we love, and and you know, whether it's a hobby or whether it's a chasing our our dreams, whatever that might be. Um, <laughs> and that, that got me thinking. Uh, that I read an article, and it had all to uh, everything to do with like the future of work, the future of jobs, maybe how this pandemic has shaped what that future looks like. And it really got me thinking a little bit bigger about all, all kinds of things like the gig economy and the 40-hour work week and really just got me thinking about all things uh, job and work. So I thought maybe we'd dive into that and talk about the article a little bit, then hear your thoughts on the general idea, and maybe we can get into some Chasing Your Dreams talk. I'm down for this. Sounds like we're talking about the future, the future of jobs, Dan. So guys, that is coming up next. But first... We are going to listen to a uh, an indie artist out of the New York area. This is a cover of a song by the band Porches. This is the artist CMPT with the song I Miss That right here on Men Seeking Tomahawks. So I threw it away I was 
was bad Just thinking I like that, I like that, I like that I miss that, I miss that, I miss CMPT, a cover of the song I Miss That by the band Porches. Some indie music from New York, Dan. And if you would like to hear more from CMPT or just about any artist heard on the program, go to menseekingtomahawks.com. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, so, um, you know, the reason that this topic is got me interested was because of the pandemic and how it's changed everyone's world and everyone's work world specifically. Um, but you know, as we, as I think back, like work from home is not a new concept. It's just kind of been a lot of people were forced into it. I was working from home for several years before the pandemic ever hit. And I think a lot of people were too, but now a lot of people have just been forced into it. Um, you know, over the last year, year and a half, and I, I know it's got a lot of people that I know personally rethinking like, okay, what, what is work? Like, is this the new normal? We hear that all the time and specifically as it relates to work. So I thought maybe it would be fun for you and I to look into the, our crystal balls and kind of chat about what that future looks like. And kind of the basis of this was this article by Anna North from Vox.com. It was called The Death of the Job. And that's a little bit of a salacious title because, you know, her conclusion wasn't that the job's dying. It's just changing. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to use that at least as a jump off point for this conversation because the start of this was pretty interesting to me. And it it talked about how over the last century or so, our jobs weren't just what, like, provided us wages. They weren't just what paid the bills. They weren't just what gave us insurance or things like that. But they really were what defined us as people. And our friendships mostly came from jobs because we were there so often. We were in the office so often. And really our, our identities and sense of purpose all revolved about around what our jobs were. And she used that as like the starting point because then where we're headed is like maybe that's not going to be the case forever and maybe it's not the case now. Yeah, I think there is a definite line of delineation there where our our parents' generation and ours look at it completely different where – in conversations I've had with my parents and, and other people of that age bracket, it, it was kind of a point of pride. You know, you're you're the company man, right? You're you're committed, and they're gonna <laughs> no matter what if they're working you to the bone, whatever. There was that that pride in it, and I think that yeah, even before the pandemic, a, a lot of us kind of looked around and were like. Uh, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. And you know, I, I think it's when you go to like parties or mix with, with friends or acquaintances, you often still are kind of defined by what your job is like, Oh, that's the, you know, he's an accountant or he's an attorney or he's a doctor or he's, you know, works at the grocery store, whatever it is. Um, and I wonder if that's just like, because like small talk often starts with like, Hey, what do you do? Right? Like that's the first question that often comes up. But because of that, like that's often what people, 
That's how you, until you start knowing people deeper, that's how people think of you. So I think that's still kind of the case is you're still a little bit known oftentimes amongst, you know, acquaintance groups, at least like what you do. But then, you know, you and I, once you get to that next level of, of like friendship and stuff, then it's almost like not a thing. Like then you don't really even think about what someone does during the day because your relationship is, is like, you know, during the other hours. Yeah, I guess. So your neighborhood had a volleyball tournament today. <laughs> and I participated in a kid, a uh, five-year-old's birthday party. So, you know, we run in a certain circle and that circle is pretty vanilla, pretty white bread. And there's a set of about four questions that anybody can ask anybody. And yes, absolutely. And I had that conversation, which was such a whip today, four times. The, the dads were in a little huddle off to the side of the the play place and we're saying well what do you what do you do and you know you just don't gar i don't i don't know i don't know about you but i don't garner all i mean you try to like you said it's very much small talk but i don't garner very much about that person uh, other than i'm about to be bored by this conversation for the <laughs> most part you know yeah well so we're going to talk about kind of three different directions uh that that the future of work is headed and maybe how we're going to potentially the next generation will stray away from some of those things. And the first is the concept of the 40 hour work week might be going away or at least some places are considering changing that. And, you know, we can, I don't know if you want to reference some of these, you know, where that idea of the 40 hour work week came from, but it's been around for a long time. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> I, I don't want to, I think most of our listeners know, a little bit about the the last hundred years of this country and you know because i think we've all been sitting here trying to figure out where things went right where things went wrong and so yeah 40 hours is actually a really good thing compared to what it used to be what what used to be legally allowed but even then most people look at the 40-hour work week as damn that's basically my entire life you know i get a few hours to grab a quick bite do what I got to do, go to bed and go right back after it. So absolutely, people are starting to re-examine that and for good reason. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we should probably say also that, you know, it's been a while since I've only worked 40-hour work week. Like I, I often work more and a lot of people, but I think when we use that term 40-hour work week, that just means like what's become the standard for yeah. working, you know, in the, in the United States at least because, off, you know, people work two jobs and they're working well, yeah. 60, 70, 8-hour weeks or when I was in accounting, like I was working that many hours. So, but like the 40 hour work week is just kind of what's been known as the, the full-time standard. When we talked about the mall episode, right? We talked about how there had been these ideas about putting people in these urban communities and then people never adopted that. So people started to move or move further and further out. And, and so that 40 hour work week, quote unquote, for most people also, uh, includes this hellacious commute now. So, the, you know, there's a lot of people, like you said, that work multiple jobs or they're salaried, which is supposed to technically mean 40 hours, but it tip it often does not. All it means is you don't get overtime when exactly. you work more than 40 hours. But then, so if you tack on, you know, any of those elements or you tack on the fact that a lot of us have to commute to get to work, 40, that number 40 just doesn't mean a whole lot. 
Now, and over the last several years in several countries, uh, Japan, New Zealand, and the most high-profile one was Iceland, uh, these countries actually, as a governmental-type experiment, uh, ran experiments with what if some of these certain sectors of work that traditionally work your 40-hour weeks, what if they work 35, 36-hour weeks? So maybe it's four days with nine-hour work days, so then you've got three-day weekend or maybe you're just working less hours each day, so maybe you're working seven-hour days for all five days of the week. But you know, the, the moral of that is getting to less than 40 hours a week and then survey the, the workers and find out, like, how do you feel? Do you still feel tired at the end of the week, and do you still dread going to work on Monday, or is your work you know, life balance a little bit better? And uh, overwhelmingly, that you know, only four or five hours less a week not just created a better, you know, work-life balance for the individuals, lower stress, greater well-being, but the supervisors of those people actually reported that productivity either stayed the same or increased because people were just more motivated. Like they understood, okay, this 40-hour week, I have to get the same amount of work done in 35 hours. And oftentimes that, that encouragement, that internal motivation will push them to do even more work, you know, maybe they're not as lackadaisical or maybe because they know, hey, I'm going home an hour earlier, they might push a little harder. So the results were overwhelmingly positive in these experiments. Yeah, I love the idea. I know that anytime we get like a Friday off or a Monday off, I know my weekend feels like it's just a just a better animal all around. But have you like I remember early on getting into the workforce that in a few jobs that I showed up at. I was like this go-getter and I was getting things done so much faster than anybody. And I, I can't recall any specific examples, but I remember a few times people kind of saying like, slow down there, pal. You know, you don't want to show, there's a reason why we're all going at this level at this speed, because when you start to click that speed up a little bit, they're going to expect you to do that all the time. And then that expectation just keeps compounding. And that has a lot to do with that 40 hours because a lot of the, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just, it, it, it's just insane. The stuff that people have the, the horse and pony show that people have had to go through for decades, but a lot of the corporate America, a lot of the jobs that, you know, just like you said, everyday, you know, 40 hour week jobs, people have figured out that formula where you know, if I move at a certain speed, I've got five days worth of work, not rocking the boat, not getting in trouble. And how healthy could that possibly be? Yeah, no, I, I've had that experience too, where, you know, you come in and some of the veterans are like, hey, if you work too fast, then the supervisor sees you're getting done and you're actually getting it done faster than those of us who have been here 10, yeah. 15 years, then it makes us look bad. And like the, what's, you know, implied is that, Hey, in a few years, you're going to wish you hadn't done that because you're setting those expectations unreasonably high. You're going to be in our chair and you're going to be telling the next guy up or the next gal up that, you know, don't <laughs> yeah, work so exactly. hard. Yeah. I actually remember, um, I had a supervisor one time that was like, you know, if someone emails you a question, you know, the answer and you've not got anything else going on, just don't reply so fast. Like, sure, you might be able to reply right away, get them the answer and get them moving. But then you're setting that expectation that like, hey, you're always going to reply fast. And like, I can see that from like a psychological standpoint. But once you start doing, you know, taking that approach, okay, I'm just going to reply slow to the emails that can definitely, you know, 
seep into other parts of the work and until you know the whole job is just like hey let's kick back for a few hours in the morning or let's uh you know let's stop paying attention to too many things in the afternoon because hey gotta have something to do tomorrow right. when I show up. You know up. what man I'm just I'm glad we're having this conversation because I feel like several times even that birthday party I, I referenced we we I, I pointed this out to somebody about something similar that it's like our work personas are just this avatar it's it's like LARPing, right? Those, those kids that go out into the park dressed as knights and wizards. It's not that far off because all of these unspoken rules about productivity and making sure that you that things are approached a certain way, it's all BS. And I'm just glad that not only are we having this conversation, but we're having this conversation as a society because it's not reality. And it's not fair. And I think we're seeing what that's done to everybody. Yeah. And this is, you know, kind of moving on from, from that. And, but based on what you're saying, moving on from that 40 hour work week concept is something. And, you know, I know we try to avoid, you know, it shall, that shall not be discussed, you know, the pandemic, we try not to talk about it cause we're all living with it, but like it really has started opening the eye, the eyes of people, kind of like you said, you know, whether it's because people are forced to work from home, maybe they are cutting out that commute and they're having some extra time at home to do things or whether, you know, hey, they got furloughed or laid off and they had to pick up side gigs or got some government assistance that maybe helped them pursue something that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. All of those things have really changed the way people are living and working and, what it really brought to mind for me was I've, I've always heard, you know, anecdotally, of course, that when people retire in their 60s or 70s and they pick up a hobby. So I don't know, they, they make furniture, woodworking or they rebuild classic cars, like whatever it was that maybe they had been thinking about doing or had a, an odd interest in but didn't really have a chance to pursue until they retired. Um, and then they became really good at it. And had they, you know, done that in their twenties or thirties instead of their sixties or seventies, maybe that would have been their career and they would have lived a lot happier of a life because they were doing something by choice instead of because, you know, the, the paycheck that, and that's just what they kind of got shoehorned into. And I think maybe like all these weird things happening us around, around us right now, especially as it relates to jobs might be creating some of those opportunities for people. And one thing that just personally I'm, I'm familiar with is an acquaintance of mine and used to commute to work every day, started working from home full time. He had like, you know, an hour and a half each way commute. So that's what three extra hours in his work day. That's 15 hours a week that now like he was used to not being home and he started, you know, doing, doing more yard work, doing his own yard work, putting a garden in. And then the neighbors started saying, Hey, like, can you build me a vegetable garden like that? Started, you know, doing garden and, and, I don't know what you call like, I guess just like general landscaping and building out, you know, rock gardens and people's yard and stuff. And next thing you know, he was doing it for all the neighbors and the neighbor's friends. And like, that's his wow. full-time gig now. And that just like happened, you know, last summer was when all those things started happening. And a year later, like that's his thing. And he loves it so much more than going and commuting to a desk job every day. And, you know, that to me, again, like I said, that, that reminds me of those stories of, of retirement and people just doing things because they have free time. Um, and, you know, to me, that's like a positive that's happening out of all yeah, this. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this was naturally and organically occurring where people were done with with a lot of this stuff. I know a few years ago, I made a career shift and I had read something somewhere on like a, like a subreddit about just this guy discussing how 
companies, you have to really treat companies the way they treat you. And, and really and truly at the end of the day, they're a money machine trying to get money out of you. And really it's the same thing, vice versa. And I don't know, man, that, that, that little comment stuck with me and, and it really kind of changed my mentality. And I was like, look, I, I need a change. And I did, and I found a much better career and things have been, you know, really good and it feels a lot more balanced, but you know, that was, that was prior to 2020 and heck man, you remember the movie office space. I mean, basically what you just described was the, like the dude from office space who went from in or whatever that company was called, you know, filing TPS reports to, you know, work in construction and he loved it. And I think that that's a, that's a heck man. When, when I was trying to name this show, that was like the, like when we were having our meetings, trying to come up with a name for the show, I remember just thinking about like, what, what is it, you know, you know, guys, white collar, blue collar, just trying to get rid of the collar and run back into the woods, you know, just try to reinvent the wheel, just try to make a fire, you know, just get away, you know, just that escapism. So I think the, what's happened with 2020 and the pandemic has kind of been a catalyst for a lot of people to move a lot quicker than they may have otherwise, but it's, it's awesome. It's really good. Yeah. And one of the directions, and this is kind of that third, the third uh, piece to this that I was wanting to chat about. And one of those things that people have moved into is, is what we call the gig economy. And this was, you know, kind of a buzzworthy term uh, for the past five or six years heading into this. And, you know, what the easiest way to describe it is a lot of people would say, oh, the gig economy, that's when people can drive Uber and they don't have a boss. Right. And they can just like do their own thing or maybe they're doing freelance work or short term projects. Just basically anytime anything other than like having a full time career where you just pick up gigs either by choice or just kind of when the jobs come up, that's considered gig economy. And uh, that's happened a whole lot more now, either out of necessity or people choosing to do that. Yeah. So the gig economy, like you said, it's, it's been coming for a while now. It's not necessarily something that has the most positive connotation. I mean, there is back and forth on, I mean, exploitation, right? These drivers, uh, for these rideshare community or companies, you know, how do, what rights do they have and that sort of thing? I think, I think gig economy, is a it's a component to what we're moving towards it's not all encompassing i don't think but it's part of it and i think that it's people wanting flexibility like you said people used to get their identities and their health insurance and so much out of one thing that that was they were basically supposed to put as their family 1A and their company 1B. And I don't think anybody's treating Uber or, you know, anything like that, like 1B, right? It's just a thing I do to survive. And to me, I want to be, I want to be optimistic. I want to think that because of technology and because of advancements, people are going to be able to move away from the menial and maybe start to do something that they're more passionate about something that advances mankind you know the species uh, further and i think that you know the gig economy is going to be something that offers flexibility 
I'm really fascinated by this thing. I don't even know exactly how to pronounce it. And then I, we, didn't, we hadn't really discuss, discussed this before, but the, the exurb, like people moving away from the suburbs even and moving what they call the exurbs. I think that's how you pronounce it. And gosh, this is going to be kind of funny if anyone hears this from 10 years from now and they're like, it's like some guy in 93, <laughs> what is the internet? How do I say that word? But the idea of people, you know, not being tethered, not having to commute, just being able to go and get a really nice house for their family out in the middle of nowhere and maybe live a completely different way than that wasn't really available to them years ago. So that's another component. The other component, you know, UBI, the universal basic income, you know, people are toying with the idea of like, what, what can we do to provide people to advance them to do something different? And I, I don't know, man, this is, uh, I'm all over the place, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that all of these different concepts all kind of congeal to make a future that isn't people getting worn into the ground and putting up with all the crap they've had to put up with for decades. Yeah, UBI is definitely an interesting conversation and probably, you know, one for another day. But Andrew Yang, who is a Democratic uh, candidate for president, um, and also I think he ran for, uh, didn't he run for mayor of New York City yeah, as I well? I followed him too much. Yeah, but UBI was his, one of his main platforms was universal basic income for people. And yeah, it's very, it, it is very interesting. But like you said, getting people to do, you know, meaningful work or just not trying to, you know, constantly be chasing just a, a mm -hmm. living wage. Um, and you know, that gets into minimum wage and all, all or, that mess. Or, um, or like stay at home moms, you know, that was the thing that really got me was a stay at home parent for a child, for a baby is a GD job. It is a job. And just to think about like, you don't make any money for that. Uh, no one's ever really thought to ask why not. I think it's worth asking, you know, and what does that mean for people? You know, what, what can, what, what, what can that do? Yeah, definitely. If you're, you know, especially when you're staying home with a baby or even a small, you know, a toddler or something and your alternatives are outrageously mm -hmm. priced daycare or, you know, nannies, which are expensive, you know, yeah, there's, there's absolutely places. And I think obviously, you know, other countries other than ours are a little more advanced than some of those, um, you know, I don't know if you want to call it like compensation yeah. structures, but there's definitely more out there for in, in other countries. Um, but, you know, back back to kind of that gig mm -hmm. economy and stuff. I do think that, you know, even before people were maybe forced into the gig economy a little bit faster than they wanted to be, um, you know, because of everything going on. There's some really cool tools out there that people are using um, that I think are, are empowering people. Maybe they're not driving Uber. Maybe they're doing their own thing. Um, two that kind of came to mind are kind of like that crowdfunding model, like Patreon, which is real big in podcasting and, and creators, bloggers, YouTubers, where, you know, you're kind of building, you know, a fan base could be large or small that are supporting you and whatever it is you're creating from an entertainment standpoint or from an educational standpoint. So Patreon, and there's a whole lot of other things like it. And then Kickstarter, which has been around for, you know, a decade or so now. By the way, they're in 2022, they're testing out a, f a four day work week um, in their own HQ. But Kickstarter is, I mean, at this point, a, a proven way for people that have cool product ideas or cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's mainly products or, or goods. And 
they're trying to see if there's a market out there for it and they put it up on Kickstarter. I'm, I almost feel like we've talked about Kickstarter several times in the you know the original 82 episodes. But it's a really cool way for people that are, you know, trying to do their own thing to kind of float that test balloon and see what's out there. It is. And it was I, I miss the days of when Kickstarter was in its infancy and Dan would bring me these wild ass uh, things that he was throwing money at. And I'd be like, OK, Dan, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see when your vaporware comes to town. Hey, I'm I'm two years behind on Christmas gifts to one of my parents um, because I keep purchasing uh, crowdfunded <laughs> gifts for them, and I have to print out. You know, they're guaranteed to be ready by Christmas, and uh, they're just holding these, uh, you know, printed out pictures of what they're going to get. But uh, that I'll tell you what, that smart cutting board, um, yeah. it's going to be on a on a tanker f- coming from from China any can, day now. You can carry that in that smart uh, luggage that uh, you funded. I re- yeah, I remember. Oh, I, I yeah. got the smart lug. Is it legal anymore? <laughs> the battery that was inside <laughs> inside my smart luggage, um, after about six months of it being on the market, the TSA determined it was uh, an explosion okay. risk, and it's no longer allowed on the No, airplanes. but you know, uh, all the jokes aside, Kickstarter, gig economy, Patreon, all those things, I, I think it is interesting because I, I think that there's such burnout from having one job. Like I always tell people, cause we, you know, people talk about blah, 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 like find, find something you love doing. You won't work a day in your life. Listen, baseball players get tired of baseball and they get paid to play baseball. So don't give me that. I think that the idea of piecing things together is so much more of a appealing thing for humans. And given the interconnectivity of our world now and, how people have different passions and different interests. I've got a buddy who lives in my neighborhood. He's kind of a weird dude. I think that's why we get along. But he was uh, he was like in medical, but he was also a bodybuilder, and he was into like uh, these Tony Robbins kind of people. And so when he heard I did a podcast, obviously he was like all over, like you know, he had five hundred questions about it. And started asking me what he should do. And I, and I told him, I was like, look, man, what you really should do is take all those things that you're either, take the trades that you have, take the passions that you have, and just turn yourself into this cottage industry. You know, do a little, like the podcast, you know, if you want to do a podcast, cool, make that part of it. I think about, you know who I think about a lot is our buddy Colt from Podcast Movement, you know, Colt Cabana, yeah, Colt Cabana. The, the world famous professional wrestler man. Like he is a podcaster, he's a pro wrestler, but he, but he makes it into, uh, where they're, they're interwoven. And I think that's it, you know, where you can use Patreon as an, uh, an input for your fans to directly help you, uh, support what you're doing. Um, but you also have to have, you know, your, your, your other components put together as well. So we have more tools now than ever to be able to do that sort of thing. And, and I think, you know, just spitballing here, I think that's the way it's going. You know, I think it's the, the, the kid who wants to be a musician or the kid who wants to build the next uh, smart piece of luggage or whatever. It's just, you know, okay, go, go make it happen. Yeah. And you talk about kind of those tools in the, in the tool belt and the repertoire and kind of the last one I wanted to talk about, and this is a, like a little bit of a punchline right now, and that's mm. only fans. Um, and that's because, you know, OnlyFans is kind of like a Patreon or a membership website, but it's mainly, what's it, what's it mainly uh, for, like Dan? sex workers. 
okay for sex Thanks, workers man. and um yeah people that do things people like that uh, things for for like that for money for money <laughs> um but no it's you know it only fans is it's kind of like a patreon but you know it's for you know like people like, i guess do their own porn basically and but own own it as their own business so you know, it's an industry that traditionally you had, and I think we even did an episode on this, but uh, you had to go through like big production houses or, you know, production companies and you had to be a contracted worker in order to become, you know, kind of like, kind of like Hollywood, but you know, just a little sure. bit different. Um, but this kind of empowers those individuals to be their own entrepreneurs in that same line of work. And, you know, only fans as an example, but like that model I think can be replicated across different industries, you know, whether it is, um, like you, you mentioned the Tony Robbins, like yeah. that kind of thing, like, like coaches or, um, you know, entertainers or, or educators. And, uh, I, I think it's a good example of one of, um, just another good example of like the gig economy and how it's like changing old school, traditional industries and, you know, empowering the individuals instead of the big businesses. You know, all jokes aside, I think sex work is another conversation and sex workers is another conversation in and of itself. The, you know, what OnlyFans might uh, enable those people to have in terms of income, but also maybe safety. I think there's a lot of, yep. a lot of stuff there. Mm. But, but you're right, man. I, I think it's great. I think we, I think, you know, for me, I, I would love to see a change in the world. You know, we're sitting here talking about people about to get, evicted you know we're talking about people losing their jobs um man it's there there is a lot of opportunity that i i hope comes to fruition you know i really hope that that things change drastically uh and 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 people have a, a way out of this you know a way forward yeah and kind of uh you know to to end on a light note here um, I wanted to share the story of of one of these gig economy workers. Are you familiar with the name Lush Botanist? Uh, no, I am not familiar with the Lush Botanist. Dan, enlighten me. Yeah, she is. Um, I believe she's uh, she's kind of cornered the market in. Uh, I guess you'd call it the professional farter category. <laughs> so. The lush botanist has found a way to, I don't know where your microphone just went, but she's actually found a way to make up to $4,000 a day um, as the self-described fart queen of the internet. So she has fans who will um, contact her and um, pay her sums of money to record these custom videos of her doing this, you know, dirtiest of act. And it's paying her bills now um $175 per per video is kind of her fee and some days she's you know racking in several videos now Jack's taking off his headphones um now Jack won't even know that <laughs> oh he's like walking away now Jack won't even know that um one of the like opportunities here is you could actually send Miss Botanist um food and she would ingest your food as a part of the the service and then that's what you know. Several hours later, is is produced on video just for you. Um, I mean, you know, you're 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 not approving this, but I, I don't know how that's any different from some of these other things we've talked about in the gig economy here. The problem is you do, but 
Damn. I, I feel like I was channeling the the thought leaders of history discussing how we might utilize the tools at our discretion to move society forward in a way that has never been thought of before. And your response was to tell me about the internet fart queen. Look, now I'm feeling the judgment coming from you. And this is like a very, this isn't the Jack that I know. Like there are people judging. that really, really want to spend money on this. And there is somebody that specializes in this. How dare you? And that, and when the two, you know, join forces, everybody's happy except I'm not apparently judging. you. I am just offering my observation on the fact that I was over here in Saskatchewan, and you were over here in Tallahassee. That's 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 the comment that I was making. Well. Look, you know, now I've now Jack's I have understood it. Like Tony Robbins good, Lush Botanist bad. I, I get it. Now title of the episode. Clear. Title um, of the and episode. And lucky for you, you know, lucky for you, uh, I know we have a break coming up, but um I happen to have a guest that I've lined up that I thought you were going to be excited Damn. about, maybe not, but they might be related to either uh have some some familiarity with either Lush Botanist Tony Robbins or or maybe both. So you're going to have to wait and see Can't who I brought in. Can't wait. All right, guys, there's our conversation. You're welcome. Uh, coming up next, we're apparently about to have a very special guest. But first, we are going to uh, take a second or third list. I can't remember at this point how many times we featured these boys on the show. But this is a little uh, chip rock outfit from uh, Houston slash New Jersey. That's right, it's those boys out of Save State Corrupted. This is one of their newest tracks, Chameleon, and it is right here on Men Seeking Tomahawks.
State Corrupted back on our airwaves with the new track Chameleon. Just a little more uh, chip tunage, a little bit of chip rock from down yonder in Houston. And now, reluctantly, I hand it off once again. Here's Dan. Thank you, Jack. And uh, as you and the listener might recall, that last segment, uh, we had the story of the one and only Lush Botanist. She's the woman who has made thousands of dollars by selling videos of herself flatulating on the internet. Unfortunately, yes, I recall. Yes, good, good, good. Well, lucky for you, I placed a few phone calls and called a few favors in, and behind that very studio door behind you, I have a huge, huge surprise waiting for you, and I think you're going to like it. Okay, Dan, let's let's get this over with. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you... Uh, hey, I was uh, sent over by the agency. Wait, who are you and what is that smell? Ugh. The name? Damp Gardner. My agent told me you two was interested in immersive audio video flatulating experiences. <laughs> mm, Damp Gardner. No, 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 no. We were looking to speak to the lush botanist. I thought that's who was being sent over. No, no, no. Hold on now. We weren't interested. We were, yeah. No, it was Dan. a joint request. No, 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 no. It's, it's, this is all Dan. Lush botanist. <laughs> She's booked through next year. I'm going to run this study. Come on, guys. Give me a chance here. I'm trying to make a name for myself in the uh, natural gas business. <laughs> little uh, industry insider humor for you there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I guess it's better than nothing. We have to have a guest on today. So, Damp Gardner, I'm guessing you offer a similar service to the Lush Botanist, and you're selling custom videos of yourself passing gas? Exactly. That is what you can smell. Production is at an all-time high. This is so gross. Yeah, we can definitely smell the production going on. Um, and I imagine that being a male, you might draw a different fan base than the Lush Botanist. Strangely, no. Uh, after extensive market research, we've determined that both of our target demographics fall into the same category that we in the business refer to as widows. <laughs> oh, nice, uh, <laughs> nice to your customer there. Um, so how do you set yourself apart then? Well, Dan, uh, LB, as uh, me and our closest friends like to refer to her, uh, caters to users seeking a state-of-the-art full HD Dolby 7.1 digital ripping-ass presentation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's that's her and your specialty? Whereas I like to market myself towards a more discerning sort of customer interested in a more refined, uh, more high-minded experience. Okay, so how does one market fart sounds towards the jet set? Well, my recordings are all painstakingly captured in high fidelity using only the finest and vintage stereo technology. One can admire my gas passing of such eloquent mediums as vinyl, cassette, VHS, compact disc, and coming soon, laser disc. We just got the machine. <laughs> Wow, I think my parents still have a Laserdisc player in the attic. That's amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. Please feel free to give them my card. Oh, no, I don't think they'd be interested. Ah, trats. Well, perhaps that's for the best, Daniel. For you see, uh, 
very sorry to announce here on live radio on the internet uh, that I have uh, run into a very unforeseeable issue that may force me to altogether abandon this very lucrative business of my selling audio of uh, me letting fly the weirdos. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Damp Gardner, what, what, is, what is your issue? Well, I... Uh, seem to have come down with a case of the, uh, how do I put this, uh, stage fright. Stage fright? Wait a second. You're having issues passing gas? Then why does it smell like Brussels sprouts and a sulfur marinade in here? It's disgusting. <laughs> oh, what vivid imagery there, Daniel. Uh, alas, okay. I have uh, no problem emitting hell from my bottom. That is until I put a microphone down yonder. Then not even a whiff of a tooth. Oh, man. Uh, Jack, uh, okay, I've got an idea. Do you mind if I take this one? I've actually been working on my motivational speaking. Dan, by all means. <sighs> Thank you. Mr. Gardner, did you order the code brown? Wait a minute now. You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them. You want farts? I want farts. You can't handle the farts. Dan, did, did that go how you wanted? I mean, yes and no, but don't worry, Jack. I, I can see you're you're getting a little worried there. I've got something else up my sleeve. <clears throat> Are you ready? Just checking to make sure you're ready. Here it is. Show me the farts. Oh, show me the farts. Doesn't it make you feel good just to say that, Gardner? Say it with me just one time, brother. Show you the farts. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. I want you to say it, brother, with meaning. Hey, I got Jack Drastic on the line. I better hear you say it. Yeah. Uh, uh, show you the farts. Ah, not show you. Show me the farts. Show me the farts. That's it, brother. You got to tell. You got to yell that shit. Show me the farts. <laughs> Louder. Show me the farts. That's right. Now I'm feeling it. You know, because on this show, we fight for that fart. On this show, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that fart. We claw with our fingernails for that fart. Because we know when we add up all those farts, that's going to make the freaking difference between winning and losing, between living and dying. And I'll tell you this. In any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die Who's going to get that fart? And I know if I'm going to have any life. <laughs> and I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that fart. Because that's what living is. Six farts in front of your face. Now, I can't make you do it. You've got to look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now, I think you're going to see a guy who's willing to make that fart with you. You're going to see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this show because he knows when it comes down to it, you're going to do the same for him. And that's a podcast, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a show or we will die as individuals. That's life, guys. That's all it is. Now, Gardner, what are you going to do? Someone get me a damn microphone. Dan, I think he did it, man. Here goes. I think he's, here. Oh, yeah, here he goes. Oh, right. he's got this. You got right. this. Come on, Damp. Do it. 
not just a fart that was code red that was not oh. just a fart that's oh. code brown jack <laughs> our microphone oh. gardner are you okay oh thanks boys i hit the brick wind and dash but dan has cured what ails me now i gotta get back to the studio with that damn gardner oh. get back here right now he's you leaving a trail see you guys later you are- you owe us a new microphone. Get back here. Clean up after yourself, Gardner. Oh, my God. I don't know if I should apologize for that, Jack, or just uh, head straight to Guitar Center and replace the microphone. Yes, the answer to that question is yes. Whatever the opposite of our finest hour is has thankfully concluded. Be sure to subscribe to the program on your favorite podcast app. I can taste it. Oh, you got this. Become a tomahawk-seeking person by joining the conversation over on the social media. And to hear more from the musicians featured on today's program, go to menseekingtomahawks.com. Dan, get some Lysol or something. It's like a Dutch oven in here. Oh, 